you would, uh, take out your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, we'll be looking at the first two verses today. We're beginning a series in Ephesians. It's, uh, for the most part, going to be about once a month. Um, although this, this month, we'll, I'll be preaching twice this month, so you'll couple weeks we'll continue, but uh, we'll be going through, uh, I'll be planning on going through Ephesians on the weeks that, uh, uh, that I am bringing the Word. So Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 1, and then to verse 2. Hear now the Word of God. Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together and ask the Lord to bless the reading of His Word. Father in heaven, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You even for what we just, this little piece that we'd seen, this wonderful Uh, promise of grace and peace, this blessing of peace and grace from Jesus Christ. We pray, Father, that you would give us ears to hear as your word is preached. Be with this your servant. May my words be your words. May your name be glorified. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Letter writing is a lost art. It seems that people today don't really write letters. Uh, In an age of instant messaging, social media, uh, we just don't seem to have the need to write out long letters. Uh, Even email, which is still instantaneous, has become somewhat of an outdated form of communication among Uh, At least a younger crowd, I still use email. Thinking, though, historically, you can learn a lot about a person by his or her letters. Uh, Both letters written and letters that they've received from other people. In the uh, past few years, I've been reading a number of biographies. And what many biographies will often do uh, is they will use letters... Uh, that, they, that this person that they're studying had written or had received. And so you can, you can learn a lot about a person by reading their letters, their correspondence. You can learn what, the things that excited them. You can learn the things that were of interest to them. You could learn what their positions were on a variety of topics and questions. You can learn who they loved. Many of the great leaders of the past 200 years or so were great letter writers. And because of that, we're able to know a great deal about them. Well, as I mentioned, we're beginning this series in the book of Ephesians. And one thing that you should know about Ephesians, you probably already know this, Ephesians is a letter. This is a letter. This is a letter that is written from a pastor to a beloved church. And in this letter that Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, we see the things that are important. 
The things that really mattered to the Apostle Paul in terms of the Christian faith. And what we see first and foremost in this letter is the gospel. We see how the gospel fundamentally changes us as believers. Now, in this letter, there are two basic themes that we will see throughout. The first is that Christ has and is reconciling all of creation. And the second is the theme of unity. So those who had previously been dead in their trespasses and sins have been made alive in Christ Jesus. Christ is reconciling people to himself. This is the good news that we proclaim, this good news of reconciliation with God through Christ, that we have new life in Jesus Christ. And coupled to this great message of reconciliation is also this message of unity. That those who have been reconciled by Christ, those who have union with Christ, are also united together as one body. That we are, in the church, one people. That we have union together. And so Paul is writing to a people. He's writing this letter to a people who are united in Christ and he's writing to them as an ambassador in chains. Now, this letter is one of the so-called prison letters. Paul is writing this from prison. And Paul wants to remind them of the gospel and remind them of the unity that they have in their faith. This is what is important to him. These are the things that are weighing on him as he writes from prison to this beloved church. And so as we begin, the first thing that we'll note in the verses that we're covering today is the author. Verse 1, it starts this way, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. So we know, first of all, right away, that Humanly speaking, at least, it is the Apostle Paul who wrote this letter, right? Now, we know, of course, that the the Scriptures have human authors, but the ultimate author of the Bible is the Lord God Himself. Uh, Peter writes in 2 Peter 1.21 this, No prophecy is ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so the the author of this letter, humanly speaking, is Paul. But Paul did so. He, He may have put pen to paper, but it is by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the Word of God. Paul's heart and mind was so thoroughly spirit-controlled that the ideas that he expressed, even the very words that he used, are the ideas and words of the Holy Spirit of God. Paul was carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so these words that Paul writes as he pens to the church in Ephesus, these are the words of God. So we know, first of all, the author. The author, humanly speaking, is Paul, but this is divine, so this is also a letter, as it were, from the Holy Spirit. It's from God. What else do we know about Paul here, though? Well, we know he's an apostle. It says that this is Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. 
Now, this is a word we use a lot, but what does apostle mean? What is an apostle? Well, the word apostle has a variety of meanings. It's used in at least three different senses in the New Testament. Its primary sense is that of a messenger who is sent. Apostle literally means a sent one. Um, Jesus uses the term this way in John 13, 16, where he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. The word messenger there was the same word, apostle. The term apostle is also used in the sense of a missionary, those who are sent out by the church to preach the gospel. And there's a sense, in this sense, Paul and Barnabas are called apostles. They're sent out ones in Acts chapter 14. So an apostle is a messenger. It's also one who is sent out. Third, the term is used in the sense of men who are called to represent Christ. Men who are invested with the full authority of Christ like a diplomat or an ambassador. So this third sense is one who is called to be a representative of Christ with the full authority of Christ. These are men that Christ had personally selected and had sent forth with full authority to teach and to rule in His name. When the twelve are mentioned, or the apostles are mentioned in that sense, the apostles, the twelve, this is the sense in which this is meant. This was a well-known, well-defined class of men, a special office in the early church, men who were appointed as eyewitnesses of Christ's miracles, doctrines, His resurrection, and whose knowledge of the gospel is directly from Jesus Christ. When used in this sense, apostle is referring to a particular special Office, an office which has authority for teaching, authority for organizing, and authority for governing the church. This, you should, this is important to know, this is the sense in which Paul is using the term apostle here. This is what he's talking about. He, Paul is saying this. He's saying, I, Paul, am a special office bearer, called and commissioned by Christ personally as an eyewitness of Christ. This is what he's saying when he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Because Paul was called directly by Jesus. We know that from Acts chapter 9. On the road to Damascus, Jesus called Paul. He had heard the gospel not from men. It wasn't other men who came and taught Paul. You know, we know you're on your way to go kill Christians, but why don't you come sit down with us and we'll explain the gospel to you so you understand. That's not how it went. Jesus came to Paul. Paul was called by Christ himself. And he belongs to Jesus Christ and he represents Jesus Christ. And no, he, he's not self-appointed. You notice that. He says this. He's not self-appointed. He was not chosen by men. He, he is an apostle, it says, by the will of God. 
So he doesn't derive his apostolic authority from other men. By the way, this is why we don't have apostles anymore, right? Because there's nobody today that is an eyewitness of Christ in that same way as the, the apostles were, the twelve and Paul. So he doesn't derive his apostolic authority from other men. It's not like other men came and laid hands on him. No, it was Jesus who did this. God himself, Jesus himself, made Paul an apostle. And Paul makes the same point in Galatians chapter 1, where he says, Paul, an apostle, not from men. And he, didn't do, he didn't come from other men, right? Not through man. But through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. That's where his authority comes from. God had willed for Paul not only that he would be saved from his sins, but that he would serve him as an apostle, as an ambassador, as a representative who is sent with authority of Christ. We see this clearly in Acts 9.15 where Jesus said, He is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Paul was a chosen instrument of Jesus Christ. And so Paul, who is often referred to as the apostle to the Gentiles, was called by the will of God. He was called to be an instrument to preach Christ. To all nations. He was called to preach to kings. Which, as you study Acts, you see Paul doing that thing. That very thing. He wasn't given his special office by men. It's not like the other apostles got together and decided, you know, we think, you know, you go do a couple of things and you could join our club. But that's, that's not how it went. Paul was called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ by Jesus Christ. This was the will of God. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. Now, we, now we, we know who the author is. We know something about the author. But who was this letter written to? Who was Paul writing to? Well, look at the, the last half of verse 1. It's the recipients. To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. So Paul is writing to the saints in Ephesus. Now, saints is another word that gets thrown around. We see that in, in, uh, in Scripture. We, we hear about it and we talk about the saints. But who are the saints? Right? Sometimes people get confused about what is meant by saints. Well, I'll make it very simple. The saints are simply believers. They're just simply believers. We're all saints if you believe in Jesus Christ. Literally, saints is the holy ones, the consecrated ones. Those who have been reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ, who is the atoning sacrifice for sin. Those who have been cleansed of their sin and guilt by the blood of Christ. These are the consecrated ones. These are the saints. The saints are a special class of people, but not in the way that some people try to suggest. The saints aren't declared saints by some pope or bishop or some ecclesiastical body. The saints are declared saints by God because of their faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, saints refers to Christians. Saints refers to followers of Jesus. 
And so generally speaking, Paul is writing to Christians in Ephesus. He's, he's writing to believers, his fellow believers in Ephesus. He's writing to the blood-bought people of God who are in Christ. This is why he also calls them the faithful in Christ Jesus. So the consecrated ones, the saints, are also by definition the faithful, the believers in Christ. And so Paul is pointing here to those who are united together in Christ. He is speaking to the church whose object of worship is Jesus Christ, who are united together with Him as partakers of new life. All of us who are believers in Jesus Christ, who have confessed Him as Lord, who are new creatures in Him, are partakers of new life and are in, in Him. Paul says in Galatians 3:26, In Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. So you see, previously, before we had faith, we were outside of the kingdom. We were enemies. We were rebels. But by faith in Christ Jesus, we're made sons of God through faith. And so there is a unity we have with one another as fellow believers as a church because we have union with Christ. We are in Him. We have faith. We are heirs of the promises made to Abraham and to his offspring. We have been adopted together into the covenant family. But Paul is, of course, describing here in not so many words, is the church. I used a bunch of words, right, to say what Paul says very simply. He calls them the saints in Ephesus. He is writing to the church in Ephesus. Paul is actually writing to a church that he had helped to plant. Paul was a part of, uh, of the work that happened in Ephesus. In Acts 19.10, it tells us that he spent at least two years there ministering and preaching the gospel to both Jews and Greeks. So this church in Ephesus that he's writing to, this is not some unknown church to him. This is a church that he had... Uh, blood, sweat, and tears had gone into the work in this church. Two years he had ministered there, laboring among the people. And so this letter is a letter of a pastor, a shepherd of, of people to his flock, reminding them of the things that they already know through the preaching of the gospel. Paul isn't telling them something new. He's, he's reminding them of the things that he'd already been ministering to them. When Paul was in Ephesus for those two years, it says in Acts 19, that the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And so the preaching of the gospel in Ephesus then also fanned out to the other villages and pockets of people in the whole region. Kind of like what we want to see here, right? In Donovan, we want to see the gospel going forth into other places. Poplar Bluff, West Plains, and wherever else that the gospel could go forth, even from here. That's our prayer. 
Paul later in Ephesians 1.15 says that he has heard of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and their love for the saints. So though he had labored in Ephesus, he didn't necessarily know everybody there, but he knew that the gospel had gone forth to all of the villages and places there. He knows of their faith in Jesus Christ. And he's thankful for that. He's thankful and he remembers them in his prayer. And so what we're looking at is a letter from a minister, a a, a shepherd. He's writing to his fellow believers of whom he is grateful for their fervent faith. And he continues to remember them in prayer. And so Paul is highlighting, even immediately in this, he's, uh, in his introduction, he's highlighting the blessings of the gospel. He's highlighting the redemption that they have in Christ Jesus. Now, one more thing, is, since this is really an introduction to uh, Ephesians, in terms of this letter as a whole, one thing you'll want to note is there's no specific problem that he's writing about. He's writing in prison, it's in a sense, it's a love letter to the church. But it's not like there's something something's going on there that prompted him to have to write to them. Paul is not dealing with any kind of controversy. He's not dealing with any kind of error in the church, at least as far as we can tell from the letter. No, Paul is instead writing to the Ephesians to remind them of the redemptive work of Christ Jesus. He's reminding them of the unity of the church a church which has a diversity of nationalities. We see it was among both Jews and Gentiles. So there's a, there's a diversity there. He's reminding them of the mysteries of the gospel. He's giving them practical instruction for relationships. Of course, the defense and the strength of the Christian, which is found in the armor of God. So in this book, we see the basics of our salvation. We see instructions for living in Christ. And so Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, this letter is both immense, is both the, both immensely doctrinal, but also very practical. Well, after his brief introduction, uh, Paul giving his credentials, he's an apostle, and then in typical fashion, Paul writes of grace. Verse two: Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now this this is one pattern that you'll see often in Paul's writings. He often in in, in, in you'll know if you look at other other books, you'll you'll see this. He'll bookend his his letters with grace. He'll start with grace, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he often will end his letter with grace as well. Look at that sometime as you're reading through uh, these letters. You'll see that, that bookending of grace. But that does bring up a question. What is grace? This is like the Sunday school question that we often ask. What is grace? Well, grace, simply put, is unmerited favor. God has poured out on those who belong to Him His freely bestowed loving kindness and favor, which is totally unmerited by anything on our part. There is nothing that we do that merits this loving kindness being poured out on us. 
grace. Uh, Charles Hodge, the famous Princeton seminary professor, said, is the source of all good. And Paul says, to, in blessing the, the people in Ephesus, grace to you and peace. Grace to you and peace. Well, what is this peace that Paul is referring to? Well, the corresponding Hebrew term is shalom. This is spiritual well-being, spiritual prosperity, spiritual wholeness. True grace and true peace flow from the goodness of God. If God's grace is a fountainhead, peace is the stream of spiritual blessing which pours forth from it. So Paul is praying for the people that they would be blessed with grace, with God's unmerited favor, and with peace. That they would have spiritual wholeness, spiritual well-being, that they would be content in Christ. Grace and peace, he says, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We see that there is a Christian reference to this grace and peace. This isn't just bare grace and peace. It's grace and peace which flows from God our Father and flows from the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace have their ultimate origin in God the Father. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Grace is a wonderful and perfect gift. This comes from God the Father. God is our Creator. We were formed in His likeness. We bear His image. God, as a Spirit, is the Father of spirit. We are born again by his spirit. We are adopted into his family. He is our father. We are his children by adoption, by the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit which proceeds from the Father and the Son. And so grace and peace come from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved, the unmerited favor that has been bestowed on us from God the Father is because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. You and I are made spiritually healthy, spiritually whole because of the redeeming and sanctifying work of Jesus Christ. Because what He has done for us. These blessings of grace and peace have been earned for the believer by the work of Christ, who is the master and conqueror. In speaking of our Redeemer, there are three names you'll note that Paul uses. Look, look Look at it again. Lord, Jesus, and Christ. You know, normally, I don't know about you, but normally I would just sort of read through that. You know, we're so used to Lord Jesus Christ, and we just kind of move through. But it's worth just kind of taking a little bit of time and pondering through this a bit. Paul first used the term Lord. In Greek, this is kurios. 
The Hebrew equivalent is Adonai, which it means Supreme Lord. Often it is used as a substitute for the name of God, Yahweh, or Jehovah. So Jesus Christ is Lord of Lords. And as such, He has complete dominion. He has complete authority over all, all of creation. He is Lord of all. He is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And then His name is Jesus. Literally, it means Yahweh saves. Now, this, this was a common name uh, in that day. In, in, is Yeshua in Hebrew, which is where we get the name Joshua, which is a very common name in our day. But the name fits Jesus as well because He is the Savior. He came to set the captives free. He came to free us from bondage to sin and to the devil. Jesus came to save His people. Yahweh saves. And finally we have the term Christ, which means Messiah or Savior. This describes the office which he holds, which is that of Redeemer. Grace comes from God the Father and the Lord, who's Master, Jesus, who saves, who Christ is our Redeemer. The Lord Jesus Christ, by the nature of his threefold office of prophet, priest, and king, is, Hebrews 7.25 tells us, able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. And so Paul, here again, is using an economy of words, but in this very small salutation, just two verses we've looked at, in this very small salutation, we see that he is a minister of Christ. He's an ambassador in chains, and he blesses them. He blesses the people of God in Ephesus with grace and peace, which then flows from God the Father through our Savior and our Redeemer and our Lord Jesus Christ. And beloved, this is just the introduction. And there's so much that we can see of God's blessing on His people. And this is why also when we enter into worship, you'll, you'll, you've noticed, uh, you've probably noticed this, that one of the very first things we receive from the ministry of God is the blessing of God with these words. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We see that every, we see that every Lord's Day. Every Sunday when we gather, we hear these words. Because it's a good reminder that we are gathered in the presence of God, from whom come peace and grace. As God's people, when we enter in, we're entering in to the most holy place. We're entering into the heavenly sanctuary. In a sense, you could say, it's almost like uh, God is ripping the, the, the roof off of the building and is bringing us up into His presence. In a spiritual sense, that's exactly what's happening. Now, obviously the roof and the ceiling is still there. The landlord might complain if God did that every Sunday, right? He had to repair it or something. In a spiritual sense, though, we are in His presence. We are in the heavenly sanctuary, and we are there because of the redeeming blood of Jesus. We draw near to Him because of our great high priest, 
Into not an earthly, not a man-made sanctuary, but into the heavenly places themselves. And so as a minister of Christ greets God's people, we are given and reminded of the grace and peace that we have through Jesus Christ. And we can worship with confidence, relying on the meritorious work of Christ for us. And so our worship conveys to us the grace of God in Christ who has purchased us for us salvation. And because of this grace that we have in Christ, we also have peace, peace with God. We are no longer an enemy of God. We are His children. And so we can rest in God. We can have true shalom. And we have been spiritually healed. We have made spiritually whole in Christ. And we're being further nourished and encouraged by His Word and by His Spirit. So we can rest in Him. We can rest in His promises as His blood-bought, adopted children. And just... And so we can reflect, as we reflect on the weight of this theology and the promises that we see, even in this introduction to the Ephesians, we can reflect on these same promises each Lord's Day as we gather for worship. We can reflect on the grace and peace which we have through Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and our Redeemer. And beloved, that is just the introduction. That, this is it's so exciting to, to read these things and to be encouraged, even with just two simple verses, but so much that Paul packs in there. Let's pray together. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you. We praise you for the grace and the mercy and the peace that we have that comes from you, our Father that comes through our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that you would uh, help us to keep, be mindful of these things as we read your word, as we meditate on your word, as we enter into worship each Lord's Day of the grace and the peace that we have through Jesus Christ. May your name be glorified in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.